0: Welcome to another episode of the Fluid Mechanics 101 podcast. In today's podcast, I'm talking with Giovanni Giustini. Giovanni Giustini is a research fellow at Imperial College London in the Nuclear Engineering Research Group there. Giovanni is currently studying and researching new interface capturing methods that can be applied to mixtures of water and steam as may occur inside a nuclear reactor and a nuclear power plant. It's a very, very interesting talk and is likely to be an area of CFD that some of you are not used to and have not come across before. So if you're really interested in how CFD can be applied to a more unusual setting, to a nuclear reactor and nuclear power plant design, I know you're going to find this podcast extremely interesting. Now, before we get into the podcast, there's, we had a small technical difficulty in the podcast that I just wanted to make you all aware of before we jump in. When we get towards the latter half of the podcast uh, the lighting and the visual quality on my half of the recording does reduce significantly and that's unfortunately because a, a large storm was passing over my house when we recorded this video. But after looking back at the podcast footage Giovanni and I decided that it didn't significantly affect the quality of the audio or the experience that you'll find from listening along. So we decided to release the podcast anyway, in its given form. And I know it's gonna be really interesting and really useful for you. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode of the Fluid Mechanics 101 podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Fluid Mechanics 101 podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Giovanni Giustini. Giovanni is a research fellow in the nuclear engineering group at Imperial College London. He's doing some very interesting research uh, in the areas of CFD, which have some carryover and application to uh, nuclear engineering, uh, some of which I imagine will be very uh, interesting for you as a listener and may have some carryover to you in your own work and your own CFD studies. So, first thing I'm going to do is just pass, pass over to Giovanni and ask Giovanni just to give you a little bit of background uh, about. His engineering career, what he's done, and where he's at at the moment. So, hi Giovanni, do you want to just give a little bit of background about yourself and we can jump into the podcast?
1: Uh, yes, of course, and thanks for having me, Aiden. So, my name is Giovanni Giustini, and I am currently a research fellow in the nuclear engineering group at Imperial College, <clears throat> and I uh, have been in the UK for a few years now, but uh, as you can possibly gather from my name, I grew up in Italy. And so my educational background uh, is in Italian universities. So just to give you uh, a bit more um, information about myself, so let's step back about 15 years ago. So uh, very young Giovanni, uh, just out of high high school. And really at the time when I was uh, about to choose uh, <clears throat> um, which university uh, to go and what kind of things I wanted to study. Really, I wasn't making any considerations about, you know, possible career options. And uh, it could really have been anything. So it may well have been uh, uh, humanities and, you know, literature studies and stuff and, and something like that. Or it could have been engineering or physics of mathematics. I had literally no clue. Uh, So, in the end, I picked engineering and I enrolled uh, at the University of Bologna, Italy, and when I was considering the various options, really, uh, what I really wanted to go for, I I really wanted to be um, exposed to um, as many diverse teaching areas as possible. So when I looked at the offer, I actually found that what really ticked all the boxes for me was the uh, the program on um, energy engineering at the University of Bologna. And that basically at the time, and possibly it still is, it was a mix of mechanical engineering, nuclear engineering, plus some additional modules on uh, cogeneration and renewable and so on. And what, really, uh, what I found really interesting and something that could really potentially could have helped me a lot for my future was that, uh, uh, that particular um, program um, enabled you to gain a very solid background in mathematics and physics, and then, of course, moving on also uh, to elective subjects such as, for example, plasma physics, which is something that in engineering people don't really do, or the physics of neutrons, which are really important in um, in nuclear engineering and so on. So that's where uh, I spent. Uh, <coughs> um, you know, the subsequent years. So I, I, I hold BSc and MSc degrees in energy engineering mm-hmm. from the University of Bologna, and uh, about that time I became uh, very fond of, of nuclear power and nuclear technology. So for my final year project, uh, I decided to go for a project on um, on. Um, um, next generation generation four nuclear reactors so um, that was a project actually that was at the uh, at ENEA, which is the used to be the italian um, atomic energy agency and that was uh, uh my assignment for my final year project was uh, uh to run some calculations on the uh on the um, reactor physics behavior of a particular design of a generation four uh, uh, nuclear reactor so at the time i was Pretty much minded to uh, have uh, a career either in industry or, or in academia in the nuclear sector and really my passion was really the reactor physics aspect of, uh, of you know the, uh, of that business and uh, after that uh, we are in uh, at the beginning of 2012 uh, I actually found that it was a very appealing uh, a PhD offer from, uh, from from Imperial College and that was for uh, there was a, um, a high-profile research research program that was just starting at the time on um, nuclear reactor thermohydraulics in the mechanical engineering department at Imperial. And so I applied for that. That was um, the broadly the theme of that research program was what can CFD do for nuclear? So it was obviously heat transfer and fluid flow uh, using CFD for nuclear applications. So. Applied for that, they they took me in and so I did I, I did my PhD in mechanical engineering at Imperial College, looking at heat transfer and fluid flow in nuclear reactors. Then I stayed on uh, for a few years, working as a research associate in the mechanical engineering department at Imperial after my PhD and that I got in 2016. And uh, so during, through my years here at Imperial, I had uh, um, gathered a, critical mass of uh, collaborations and connections in industry and academia. So I felt that I was ready to uh, propose my own research and try to get funding for, uh, to sustain my own personal research interests, which is what I did. I applied for some funding from um, the uh, research councils here in the UK, from the um, Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council. And through a national uh, grant, that's a fellowship grant that's um, reserved for uh, early career researchers. So I I, I got awarded, my my fellowship was awarded to me uh, recently in 2020. So that's when I started the next step in my career. So right now I'm here uh, in the mechanical engineering department at Imperial working as a research fellow in the nuclear engineering group. And uh, I am looking at various aspects of um, uh, nuclear thermohydraulics modeling, but in particular, my specialty is the uh, modeling of boiling flows that are um, commonly found in um, uh, uh, water-cooled nuclear reactors. So that is what I am doing right now.
0: That sounds fantastic. You've, you've, you've done a lot of work, I think in your career so far to get, to get to where you are. Um, Just, as i was following along i, I noticed that you mentioned uh, a generation 4 reactor and as someone who's perhaps not directly involved in nuclear engineering uh, research or activity um perhaps could you just explain a little bit what a what a generation 4 reactor is because uh, as a as a layperson i can i can probably guess that a generation 4 is maybe different to a, a generation 3 or a generation 2 but What is it about the generation, generation four? Could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: there are um, obviously there are differences. So uh, perhaps it's going to be helpful if we um, step back a little bit uh, for a second and we introduce some uh, fundamental concepts of nuclear technology, because Mm -hmm. I think these are going to be helpful also for the uh, progression of our uh, conversation. Uh, so to start with, first things first, um, a nuclear power plant like any other uh, power station is used to generate electricity. So at the plant, we need to have a system where we are generating <clears throat> uh, some heat. Then we have this heat is used uh, to drive a steam cycle that in turn drives an electricity generator and we generate, um, uh, we generate power for the grid. Now, What what makes a a nuclear plant different from any other power plant is the way that we generate heat. So instead of, for example, uh, burning coal or any other fossil fuel, uh, heat is generated in a system within the plant that's called a nuclear reactor, uh, which is a system where uh, heat is uh, generated by uh, nuclear reactions. And uh, the, this is what happens um, when um, fissile material undergoes nuclear fission. That is when the nuclei making up the fissile material split and is induced uh, by neutrons uh, via, uh, via um, n- nuclear chain reaction. So basically we have uh, one nucleus of the fissile material that uh, splits into to halves and generate some neutrons, and these neutrons in turn generate other fissions in, mm. in the in the in the nuclear material. Now, uh, there are various. Obviously, it's it's a rather intricate matter, but the the, the bottom line is that uh, an important aspect of uh, of what makes different kinds of reactors uh, different from each other is the, the the kind of fuel that the kind of nuclear fuel that we use in terms of what kind. Of, uh, of of, of uh, uh, fissile material that is used, uh, which in turn uh, constrains the design of the uh, nuclear reactor. Mm. Also, as far as the cooling of the reactor is concerned, so these uh, the various difference, differences between uh, different generations of nuclear reactors. Uh, differences in terms of uh, of, uh, of of the reactor concept, so the kind of fuel that we're using, the kind of coolants that we're using to take the heat away from the reactor and then uh, transfer it to the non-nuclear uh, part mm. of the power plant, and so these numbers: generation one, two, three, and so on, and four. Uh, Uh, are uh, are, uh, in in a way a posteriori for us to keep track of the development of the various nuclear uh, technologies. Mm. And right now, really, Generation 4 includes a lot of different uh, reactor concepts in terms of both uh, uh, nuclear fuel and uh, coolant. And uh, really... Really, it is a term that is used uh, when we want to talk about the really the next generation of nuclear reactors that will hopefully be deployed sometime soon in the future.
0: So these are the the generation four reactors. There, that's used to refer to the sort of the futuristic designs and the designs we're working on now. The the new the new designs. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, Incidentally, uh, that's really right now we are. Working also on uh, generation uh, three reactors, meaning that possibly one shouldn't try to run before one can walk. But really, a uh, lot of effort right now still on generation three, and you know, in improving that. But the hope is that in the future, what is you know the so-called generation four, that as I said, includes all sorts of different reactor concepts. You know, a few of them will be ready. Uh, in terms of development and that we'd be ready for a deployment, large scale deployment.
0: Right. So the the generation three designs, at a step back, you could think a generation three design perhaps describes something that we have at the moment and we're currently working on a generation four describes a sort of a new futuristic design that we're working towards. Maybe You, you could think of it like that. The three and the four are referring to what we've currently got and new things we're looking towards in the future. I think it's, also Indeed. worth um, just pointing out, maybe a bit uh, obvious for some people, but it sounds like the overall idea of the nuclear power plant and how it works overall hasn't really changed. And that's, that's still the same going through all the, all the designs that really what we've got is we're we have nuclear fission and we're, we're getting some heat out. And then we're using that heat to generate steam and the the steam turns a steam turbine, which generates electricity. So maybe the, The overall principle is still the same and that's the electricity generating side to the bit with the steam and the steam turbine and the generator that still stays the same. But perhaps the new generation, the generations of designs maybe speak to some of the more uh, intricate technologies within the reactor that we're improving and and taking and going forward. And I think that's probably got an important point to. Think about for a lay person as well, that we're not changing the idea of what a nuclear power plant is, but we're trying to improve some of the uh, intricate technologies within it. And actually, it sounds like with the some of the Generation 4 reactors that there are some quite significant differences in, in some of the new designs. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe the thing we talk a bit about next would be maybe um, some of the work which you've worked on um, in regards to where does where does CFD come into where does CFD come into the nuclear react design? Because uh, as a as a bystander who perhaps isn't involved in the nuclear industry, one might assume that a lot of the detailed uh, design and calculations go into the fission process itself. So how the uh, the fissile material releases heat. Maybe that's what I used to think, at least that oh, perhaps all of the that detailed design and analysis is going into the fission process, but actually there's scope for CFD and other aspects of engineering around the fission process. So maybe do you you want to speak a little bit about where does your research come into this and what what part of the nuclear plant do you look at?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think you you have made a very good point uh, when you said that perhaps the perception is that there is a lot of work going on, you know, on, on op- optimizing really the fission process itself uh, uh, and, and not really all that's around it. Well, in reality, it's the other way around. Really the, the main constraint uh, for your know, design, operation and safety assessment of nuclear systems is really a thermal hydraulics constraint. And that is really a, a nuclear reactor is as good as, as the, its heat transfer performance is good. So really, what what the the amount of power that you can take away from it is really what you can wash away with your coolant. That's that's yeah. that's really the bottom line. So, uh, thermo hydraulics is basically uh, that 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 the considerations, you know, the various limiting factors in the development of a specific design uh, a reactor are really uh, thermohydraulic constraints, and uh, and obviously computational fluid dynamics. Uh, is uh, computational fluid dynamics research and applications of computational fluid dynamics uh, to nuclear engineering are at the core of uh, uh, current research research trends in nuclear engineering. So that that, that is actually a, a fundamental aspect, and uh, not just uh, it. It's very interesting that th- there are many um, scenarios um, that we need to consider and that call for the use of CFD. And so it's it's not just design, uh, but it's also uh, as far as um, the modeling the modeling of accident scenarios is is is, is concerned. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, there is um, plenty of scope for uh, applications of CFD. And uh, but that's not just at, at the level of academic research. I mean, uh, the, the industry now in In the industry, in the civil nuclear industry, uh, computational dynamics is used routinely. Now, uh, there are many examples. And uh, for for me, so I'm very much um, um, a a water cooling person. So in the the various, uh, uh, as we said, there are um, various reactor concepts. So they differ. Uh, from the point of view of cooling, for example, uh, worldwide most of the nuclear reactors active right now, uh, these are water-cooled reactors. So in the in in in, in the, react- the reactor, core coal is core coal is cooled by uh, the circulation of water. But that it does not need to be uh, you know necessary. So, uh, for example, in the UK, most of the fleet uh, is actually these are actually. Um, um, gas cooled nuclear reactors where actually the the, you know, the part of the plant where heat is generated is is cooled by a gas and also for uh, you know for the future there are promising designs of gas cooled reactors and uh, from the point of view of uh, the um, of research and of you know use of sophisticated computational tools for modeling and predicting reactor cooling uh, the, the, the biggest challenges are posed by water-cooled reactors um, for a very uh, simple reason. So when you, due to the addition of heat, water can undergo boiling. So you turn it into steam. Now, liquid water is an excellent coolant. Steam is a very poor coolant compared to liquid water. But what you have in between? So when you have boiling water, so that is a fluid that is only partially steam, but it's mainly uh, liquid water. Actually, it's it's even better than just single-phase liquid water. So <clears throat> here, uh, really much of the research <clears throat> is on uh, on, um, on on reactor safety and the safety of uh, uh, water-cooled nuclear reactors. Now. Um, To cut a long story short, the bottom line is that we need to be able uh, to understand and predict what may be the um, uh, operational thermohydraulics parameters, what what can be the conditions that lead uh, to all of my liquid water turning into steam and therefore nullifying our ability to um, to cool the reactor so that's really what uh, uh, what uh, you know the, the the biggest problem in yeah. uh, in, uh, in in thermohydraulics applications of you know, of cfds and really this isn't that much uh, a problem of you know really um, developing my design to such a stage that i have uh, a super efficient you know cooling process and uh, you know i i really want to extract as much power from my reactor reactor core as possible uh, i mean that, that that that's not the issue the issue really is for uh, for safety mm-hmm. so we are not really concerned in in you know we're not really interested in understanding you know uh, you know the, the the fine details of uh, you know normal operation uh, steady cooling i mean that, that that's fine the important bit is what happens okay fine so let's assume that I'm heating up too much here and there in the reactor. What happens? How does the boiling process go? Uh, What happens to the generation of steam? Is uh, uh, the fact that locally I'm cooling with steam enough to cause uh, uh, an inordinate increase, uh, uh, for example, of components' temperatures? So Mm. is there going to be the risk of of damage uh, to the components that actually contain the radioactive uh, um, nuclear material? And so on, and that is really, um, if you think about that, that is really uh, uh, something that uh, it's very similar to what we observe every day. So, really, we are heating up water, which is something that we do, you know, we do that in a nuclear reactor, but we do that in our kitchen every day. Mm. And when you do that, you, you you can see that really the the boiling process, you know, from from the point of view of a person who is interested in the behavior of fluids, the, the the, the boiling, the boiling process is of um, really is, is very complicated, and, um, and 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 it really it, it boils down uh, to understanding the behavior of uh, steam bubbles that are generated at the surface where I am heating up my water. So, <clears throat> in, in in a way, the same way that in your kitchen you you can see that if you heat up too much, you see these bubbles. You know, they they grow. <clears throat> um, with increased frequency they are generated with increased frequency and then you can see that uh, they start you know they merge with each other and they cause you know these mushroom shaped structures uh, so what happens to the heat transfer at the surface beneath these you know mushroom shaped you know steam structures that develop in the water so that's really um what 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 are the biggest problems in, in you know in, in current uh, research in uh, yeah in nuclear engineering, and that is, and the, you know, the research activities, for example, the ones they am involved uh, with, and also um, other activities in our group and, and in other groups, they are really, in, in, in the end, they're all, um, uh, they are all. The you know the, the the bottom line is that they're all. This is all in in, in preparation to be ready to understand. Uh, uh, what you know? What, what can be the sequence of events that can lead to the inordinate generation of vapor near a hot surface?
0: Yeah. So I think you've you've raised some very interesting points there. Perhaps that I didn't realize quite so much is from conventional engineering. We'd assume that if if you have a nuclear power plant, much like any other engineering building, that you'd put in a you know a lot of effort into just just designing. The building and making sure what size the reactor is how much heat it's going to give out and uh, how effective is the water going to be at cooling it but i think you've raised a really important point that as well as those kind of basic design and analysis calculations that the safety the safety calculations are perhaps just as important if not more important and they're actually the ones that can be uh, quite a bit more complicated and particularly for a nuclear reactor because with a water cooled reactor because of the uh potential for for boiling i think there's, there's some really interesting points and uh, it's we could also underestimate i think how di- how difficult boiling is from a from a calculation perspective because Just, just because something occurs in our day to day life, we're quite used to seeing water boiling in the, in the kettle or the pans in the kitchen. And we're, we're used to boiling and we, we know what's going to happen just because we're used to it happening under normal circumstances. Doesn't mean it's easy to calculate, I think for an engineer. And so for some of these safety calculations for the, particularly for the boiling reactors that we've really got to, um think about and make sure we can understand and calculate uh, what's happening when we're getting steam bubbles. I think, I think you are saying steam bubbles because that's going to be when we get some initiation of boiling. And then it, is that how you, how do you normally look at these things?
1: Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so from, from the point of view of uh, um, what actually happens in normal conditions in the reactor, uh, there is, there's, there does not need to be necessarily the generation of steam bubbles uh, in the core of a water-cooled reactor. It depends on the design, uh, it depends on all sorts of uh, considerations. Uh, For example, if one considers a pressurized water reactor, which is a nuclear system in which the generation of vapor does not happen directly in the reactor core, but actually happens outside of it in a steam generator, that receives heat from single phase water circulating in the reactor. So in this case, really uh, boiling is not really something that we have to consider for uh, steady normal operation, but it's something that we need to consider, uh, as I mentioned, for uh, for safety considerations. And uh, however, the important bit is that from the point of view of the research effort, the we really need to understand the physics of the boiling process itself and that is the physics of steam bubbles growing at heated surfaces so that, that, that that's the reason why uh, regardless of the fact that i'm actually generating these bubbles in a reactor or not because uh, uh, like you said really there can be conditions that lead to for example, local increases in the uh, heat generation rate, uh, and therefore that, that you know lead our water to be close to the boiling point. so that is really, uh, that is really what happens now um, from from the point of view of actually the um, mathematical modeling of physical phenomena, uh, the modeling of uh, boiling processes is particularly challenging now. Uh, our, uh, possibly, our audience is going to be uh, familiar with uh, uh, with computational fluid dynamics, you know, and the science of fluid flow and heat transfers. So, I think they're all going to be um, uh, very aware of the fact that even just the study of single-phase flow uh, in turbulent flow conditions is an immensely challenging problem. And uh, that requires a lot of um, a lot of effort in the development of suitable uh, numerical tools for the solution of the fluid flow and heat transfer equations. And likewise, the study of uh, boiling phenomena and the and, and the physics of bubbles comes with a lot of challenges. Now, these challenges are a bit different in nature from the ones uh, that are found in. Uh, Say in normal, in normal turbulent, uh, turbulent flow CFD. They are of a, of a different nature, and they are uh, the the keyword here is multi-physics. We are really at the intersection of uh, uh, different scientific disciplines, and uh, there are different physical phenomena that all contribute uh, to determining the behavior of uh, of of, um, of boiling phenomena. And, um, and and the behavior of steam bubbles as they are generated due to the addition of heat. And uh, possibly the main complicating factor uh, here in this area is, that, uh, uh, is the presence of solid surfaces. So again, in the kitchen, we boil at a solid surface. Metal surface uh, inside a nuclear reactor, we boil on the surface uh, of uh, of the so-called um, fuel, fuel pins. So it's again the case uh, of the generation uh, of steam in the form of bubbles mm. on a surface. And now, just you know, ju- just mentioning the presence of the surfaces, you know, one can imagine that all sorts of um, complicated phenomena due to the surface chemistry, for example. Or due to surface morphology and roughness, uh, uh, in the end, are found uh, that they really uh, they, that they can determine a lot um, the uh, the occurrence of boiling and its behavior, and especially <clears throat> they can um, they can play a decisive role in uh, in the escalation of uh, of boiling phenomena mm. towards uncontrolled forms of vapor generation. And therefore, uh, you know what we really want to avoid. So the generation of steam in a system that is letting off a lot of heat.
0: Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps now, could we actually go in and think about a little bit of the detail about how we might actually go about trying to set up a CFD simulation of of some perhaps some steam bubbles or some steam with water. So my conceptual model is perhaps if you have a if you have a, a box most of our uh, viewers would be quite happy setting up, having water flowing through a box, setting some boundary conditions for the the fluid flow in the walls and maybe some turbulence and having pure water flow through a a box or a domain around an obstacle, that seems to be fine. But what would we do uh, conceptually or physically if we now said we've got water, but there's now also some steam in the box as well? What, What would we, how would we go about carrying out this as a calculation? do you think?
1: Yeah, so that's the the, the presence of steam is the main um, complicating factor. So if one is interested in actually um, studying the behavior of a single bubble of a small or of a small population of bubbles, what we really need to do is that we need to track uh, what is the evolution in time of the interface separating the vapor phase uh, from the liquid phase. So the, from the point of view of the um, CFD methodology, uh, the class of methods that are used in research are the so-called interface capturing methods. And these are techniques borrowed from, uh, from pure mathematics research. And uh, these are techniques that, in, that I- enable us to predict uh, <clears throat> the, for example, the deformation and the motion of fluid interfaces uh in any operating conditions we know no restraint we know um constraints on what kind of interface shapes uh, uh you can predict
0: mm.
1: so that is actually where uh, most of, uh, uh, of of the research effort is you know is being uh, is being directed to and that is really the main difference uh between uh, say ordinary industrial cfd methods for a single phase flow and uh, um you know, research-oriented CFD methods Mm. for two-phase flow, a case in point being actually, for example, our attempts at predicting um, uh, the behavior of steam bubbles. Uh, Now that's, you know, there is more because uh, um, these these bubbles are generated due to the addition of heat. So what we really want to be able uh, to predict and say, for example, track through time in a time-dependent simulation is actually uh, the growth, uh, departure from a solid surface and interaction of bubbles uh, that is driven, uh, not just by the fluid flow around it, but also by the fact that uh, the, the interface that's separating the bubble from the surrounding liquid, um, there is phase change and therefore there is mass transfer from the liquid to vapor bubble that grows. So from the point of view of, of research, we, we, we can see already that we are at, at the intersection between say, uh, pure CFD hydrodynamics and uh, thermodynamic considerations. Yeah. So that's one of the complicating factors uh, because uh, normally when we when we study fluid flow and heat transfer, we are perfectly satisfied with uh, with, uh, with a with a continuum representation of mm-hmm. physical reality. So we have uh, uh, we make the assumption that uh, you know all of our quantities that we that we are interested in uh, can be um, described to a good level of approximation within uh, the framework of continuum mechanics. Now, when uh, we need to add uh, you know, we need to include some additional physics as is the physics of phase change uh, at the boundary separating two fluid phases where that is, it, that's no longer enough. So mm-hmm. the, the processes that, mm, the very small scale processes that determine the occurrence of, um, of phase change at a, at a fluid interface, actually they, you know, in order f- for them to be understood, they require a description uh, at a scale, which is a bit too small for being captured adequately with continuum mechanics. So that's mm-hmm. really uh, a, a pointer to an area of research. So we are really talking about some, uh, you know, developing um, methodologies for computational fluid dynamics to the extreme of their capabilities up to the point yes. that we need some handshakes, uh, and we need to borrow something from other disciplines that you mm. know de- that have been originally developed from uh, uh, from uh, you know from somewhere else. You know, people looking at something else, but you know they came up with methodologies that we can use to improve uh, CFD. And all that I have just said, of course, applies to um, the level of uh, uh, basic research. Mm. On, uh, on 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 the very on the very fundamental physics of uh, of boiling phenomena, and uh, standard engineering practice for for example uh, reactor design is uh, is is different, and really there is no real need uh, right now from that point of view to actually track the behavior of the single bubbles and get to that level of detail. Uh, so that in this you know, in the second case, yes. Say, current standard in industrial computational free dynamic techniques, they can be uh, they can be employed for standard nuclear reactor uh, modeling and simulation. It's really for um, for the development of the next generation of methodologies that in the future will be hopefully used uh, for industrial practice. That a lot of research uh, is going on at a more fundamental mm. level, and and that's really what. Uh, myself and many other research uh, in Europe or wor- worldwide are, uh, uh, are interested in.
0: Yeah, so it's definitely new capability that isn't currently in the CFD codes. So if you were a user now and you opened up your favorite CFD code, there wouldn't be a, a button or an option to, to activate these models. It sounds like we're, we're developing new models and we have to do that from very basic physics first to try and understand how things are working and then we can eventually develop that through time and then soon that may become a, an option or a button in your favorite cfd code <laughs> Feel you're lucky in a few years time yeah, um, good. in terms of um in terms of uh, modeling these these bubbles i think you raised a very important point that when we're in the the liquid water then we're we're usually we're happy with everything that's happening in in the pure water and in the in the pure steam as a CFD modeler we're also fairly happy with how things are happening in the pure substance but for the bubbles it sounds like all of the attention is on the interface between the the liquid water and the steam because if we can know what happens at the interface then we can work out if the bubble uh, grows or shrinks or if how it moves is all really just a an extension of the Things that happen at the the interface. So it sounds like a lot of the a lot of the research and focus is going on at the the interface between the two phases. Uh, can I ask a probably a fairly basic question? Um, yeah, the the interface between two phases. Uh, someone who hasn't come across this before might think you could have bubbles of air in water, for example. You could have some some bubbles of air, and of course, an air bubble you're not going to have any of this, these phase change processes and you've got an an air bubble in water or perhaps a steam bubble in water. Could you give an indication of how is the steam bubble in water significantly more difficult to do than the air bubble or is, or is there some similarity between the two? What's, what seems to make the, the steam bubble so much harder, do you think?
1: Well, that's a very good point. Uh, so there are some similarities and some very important uh, aspects that are different. So the the main aspect that makes um, steam bubble in water different uh, from, a, from an air bubble, for example, in water is that uh, due to the addition of heat, there can be the generation of steam at the interface. So really it's, that's the fundamental difference. And however, from, uh, you know, there are other aspects that are in common uh, for example the presence of uh, uh, surface tension forces so mm. the, we the all, all all our bubbles you know they, they tend to have a quasi spherical shape i mean of course if if yeah. if you if, if you um, if you pump a lot of water they, they they can deform a lot but really they tend to go back to spherical shape yeah. That is yeah. due to tension forces, which mm. are basically, can be described in the same way, uh, both for the case of, say, purely immiscible um, flows, like uh, air bubble in water, uh, and likewise, it's a similar phenomenon for the case of, um, of, of a steam bubble in water. Mm. Uh, however, um, so the, the the steam bubble is, say, um, uh, you know, a, a, the level of complication in modeling the problem increases. Uh, however, however um, uh, important consideration that we need to uh, be making here is that the fr- from the modeling point of view, also you know, um, standard in, in, immiscible uh, two-phase flow, that is, for example, air bubble in, in water, is uh, extremely challenging from the point of view of the modeling, and uh, so that's an, that's an important difference with uh, with single-phase CFD. And that is really something that uh, uh, it isn't really going to go away. So uh, the I mean the the, ex, the expectation is that there needs to be um, you know, um, continued effort in uh, in, uh, in in developing models to try and and and, and predict the, the, these kinds of, um, of, of phenomena. And uh, and that is really uh, due to uh, due to the way that we that we. That we model uh, these problems, and that, that is something that ultimately it's uh, you know it's, it it comes with the basic uh, um, mathematical framework of uh, of fluid mechanics and of continuum mechanics that is used. So that that's something that is not uh, going to go away. So the increased complication that is, in, that is introduced when there is the need to understand uh, the behavior of bubbles that are growing due to uh, To face change is actually, uh, you know, it's it's further complication of a situation that is already very challenging from the point of view, uh, from the point of view of modeling. But that is not just, uh, and that is not just uh, the modeling alone, because obviously for uh, uh, for uh, you know for uh, academic research, uh, the modeling needs to needs to needs to progress in parallel with some um, adequate experimental programs for for Mm -hmm. verification. And to the level of, the, you know, in order to get to the level of detail that, you know, we are, uh, that we hope we, we're going to be reaching, also the development of experimental techniques is uh, um, is required. So that, that that's, the, the challenges are not just on the modeling, obviously, so we need, we, high quality experiments are needed, mm-hmm. and with, uh, you know, that in turn require substantial um, research effort in, uh, you know, in uh, developing and then, um, tuning experimental techniques and in the end get into the stage where one can generate uh, data that is you know sufficiently high quality for verification of the modeling
0: work mm. in terms of the modeling uh, how how are you going about developing your models are you are you writing your own cfd code or are you you're, using, uh, you're making mod- modifications to commercial software like Fluent or CFX, or are you, or are you using OpenFoam? I'm, I'm interested. How, how does one, as a researcher, go about uh, developing new, new codes and functionality?
1: So in, in, in my area, actually, yeah, it's either um, developing further existing approaches, for example, OpenFoam, developing solver yeah. uh, in OpenFoam, or using, say, in-house research codes. Uh, that 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 really depends uh, depends on, on on the situation. Like the the, the, the great benefit of uh, of, uh, for example, developing further uh, an existing tool, and using libraries such as OpenFOAM is mm-hmm. that you make the work um, immediately available to a worldwide community of yeah. uh, of scientists and also of, of uh, of, of workers in, in the industry mm. so that in, in my opinion that is really the approach that strikes the best balance between you know do, doing something widely accessible and actually uh, improving the state of the art uh, so for uh, for my own research for uh, say um, work packages that I am personally executing then yeah I tend to, uh, I prefer open phone to any other mm-hmm. Uh, to anything else. Uh, in other cases, in in the past, I have also used in-house codes. Uh, so mm-hmm. that really depends. The bottom line is that uh, uh, for, it, it depends on the problem and on the application, of
0: course. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but many cutting edge applications, uh, they're just outside the remit of for example, commercially available uh, CFD tools. Mm-hmm. So some development is invariably required
0: yeah is that you, you you kind of have to accept that if i'm trying to implement a new method or a new technique i am going to have to get my hands dirty and write some code <laughs> somewhere yeah. whether that's slotting into an existing framework or writing my own entirely from scratch i'm i'm going to have to get in there um yes. start writing it writing the new ter- uh new terms expressions and equations uh and things like that yeah. um, that's
1: that's fun that's a fun little research i mean that's a-
0: yeah. Do you do you have any uh, PhD students or postdoctoral students working on your projects, or is, are you uh, by yourself?
1: Not, not right now. I'm working right now. I'm working mainly with uh, final year project students.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And uh, for for the for the future plans are to uh, increase the size uh, of the research unit I'm developing, and therefore also have. Uh, uh, graduate students and PhD students. Mm. Really, here I mean, obviously, there is a need to be careful because uh, there, there is no, there is not a, you know, an infinite amount of time that we have. So, uh, in the, um, in the, you know, in the, um, when when one tries to uh, come up with, uh, you know, with, with a research project, the important thing is that it needs to be. Um, Suitable for the level that um, junior researcher is at at that particular stage mm-hmm. in their in their development. So really, uh, you know, these are time limited projects, and uh, there needs to be, um, say, significant activation energy to be supplied for a junior researcher to get to the level where uh, significant contribution to the state of the art can be made. Yes. So, um, from, from this point of view, uh, obviously you know, in, in research, we need to be adventurous and you need to set the bar high, uh, but it's possibly wiser to go for uh, uh, projects that are maybe of um, that in, in the immediate, you know, in the, in the short term, they have uh, uh, industrial relevance. Mm. So engineering projects that are possibly not so cutting edge from the point of view of the methodology, but they're more doable, and they can generate an output that can be used uh, for for industrial applications in, in in the short term. So really, the in a way, uh, one can expect that you know moving forward there can be um, difficulties in uh, justifying the development of. Um, of mathematical and numerical modeling techniques such as for example the interface capturing techniques that are needed for capturing the basic physics of um, boiling a two-phase flow uh, simply because you know the huge development uh, validation and verification work uh, introduces a delay between uh, the moment that you set out your objectives and actually the moment that you get to the stage of delivering something mm-hmm. uh, that really uh, in, if you know if the industry is very fast paced you can simply it's it's not mm. uh, it's it's not affordable to spend too much time on on tasks of, uh, you know, of considerable complexity but of uncertain outcome so it possibly makes more sense uh, to do something that is for example within the remit of existing commercially available CFD approaches mm. but a, to an immediate benefit from the point of view of industrial applications
0: yeah. sounds very sensible, particularly as if you're currently working with, uh, final year students, they only have a, a limited time window to, to get involved with these projects. So, uh, it, yeah, it makes sense. You have to uh, target, target bits of research, um, carefully as you're going through them. Um, perhaps to, to wrap up, I'd just like to ask you just a final, uh, little thought and a little question I had, which was, um, there seems to be a, a lot of, um, emphasis from the the uk government and from other governments around the world that the on the nuclear industry going forward over the next few years to meet uh, uh global co2 emissions and things like that um, i was wondering how do you see uh your research and uh, the nuclear industry as a whole how how do you see it developing uh, going forward do you think this is going to be a, a good uh, technology and avenue for for uh, users and of CFD to, to get involved with? What do, what do you think going forward?
1: So I, I hope so, and I think so. So th- the good news are that at, at the highest levels, <clears throat> nuclear power is recognized as an indispensable uh, component of the UK energy mix. And in the context, as you mentioned, of course, that there needs to be massive decarbonization and cutting down of emissions, Zero, you know, zero net carbon by twenty fifty or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. The indications are promising uh, because uh, they so the, the these are you know the, the planning from this point of view <clears throat> uh, receives input from uh, from multiple um, you know associations and advisory boards, and uh, there have been lately recommendations, for example. Uh, uh, by reports generated by NIRAB, that's the Nuclear um, Innovation and Research Advisory Board, uh, suggesting that it's um, it, you know, it's of paramount importance to uh, enhance the UK capability from the point of view of civil nuclear and uh, electricity generation with nuclear power. So these are reports for, for example, talking about the latest one. They're all for uh, for the benefit of the Department of Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy. And so these recommendations are that really across the board, there needs to be development of nuclear technology, uh, both in terms of immediate deployment uh, of already established designs uh, and also for the development of um, novel innovative designs that need to get to to, to, uh, to, a ma- to a mature stage and close to deployment very soon, by 2030 or 2050. Mm. Mm-hmm. So from this point of view, things are looking... Promising, and and this is going. to This will have, uh, I think, uh, a, be, um, a beneficial effect uh, in um, from the point of view of applications of uh, um, thermal and fluid science and development of CFD techniques and use of CFD for solving uh, thermo-hydraulics problems uh, posed by the need to develop these new nuclear technologies, but also for ensuring safety and you know um, and uh, operation, operational safety of existing reactor designs uh, so this is all uh, really promising and mm-hmm. uh, but there are also you know it's this is not just limited to uh, the production of electricity uh, because there are going to be uh, some uh, some dis- some reactor designs that uh, they are not used yet, but hopefully will be used in the future. That would be, and uh, we will be able to use them for, uh, for cogeneration, for example, like district heating. So, using the heat mm. from the
0: heat
1: uh, for, for heating homes. And uh, there will be reactors that function at a um, um, higher temperature level than existing reactors. So, in that case, mm. you can generate high grade industrial heat. You can use this heat for generating hydrogen, uh, synthetic fuels, or fertilizers. So, there are multiple uses of um, of nuclear technology so on the whole uh, things look promising uh, I would I don't really like to use the term nuclear Renaissance because that's something that was used 10 or 15 years ago and really there hasn't been a real nuclear renaissance but uh, I mean men can hope so uh, I think I'm I mean I'm I have to say I, I'm excited because it, it looks like that at least there is recognition of um, you know, of what is the path that can lead to technological innovation, and you know, as you know, a plausible route to deployment in the context of the decar- decarbonizing uh, provision of electricity, which again has been recognized at the highest levels. So I think I, I think think things are are looking promising, and especially uh, I mean. And as I said, not just from the point of view of who is actually developing, you know, uh, nuclear fuel cycles, or really the uh, the say the, the very um, nuclear physics aspect of a power plant, yeah. but also from you know, people like um, um, yourself and and myself who are more you know interested in the thermal and fluid aspect. I think that things are are looking promising, and you know there is plenty of scope. Uh, to do you know to do something good and lasting so yeah i'm optimistic optimistic, but then there
0: you go me me too i think i think that's a really nice way to finish off the podcast podcast actually because it brings us back to where we started that yeah actually even though reactor designs are changing and evolving over time um a lot of the development is not just around the fission process itself that's going on in the core but actually the uh thermohydraulic processes, you could say, around the reactor with uh, various uh, existing generation three designs and generation four designs that are currently being uh, proposed for new reactors. So definitely for CFD engineers and engineers in general, I think it's a, it's a very promising and exciting field looking forward uh, perhaps for the next 10 or 20 years and are definitely something that might be worth getting involved with. So uh, that's just about... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up and finish the podcast for this week. Uh, I'd just like to thank you Giovanni for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you here and we've had a really interesting uh, conversation. I've very much enjoyed um, having you on and for listeners at home, if you'd like to uh, have a look at uh, Giovanni's research and what he's up to at the moment, I'll leave some links in the description below the video so you can uh, follow up and um, uh, look at some of the details of his work if you're interested further. Um, That's all right. No, anytime. So uh, that just brings us to the end of the podcast and thank you all for listening at home and we'll see you next time. So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. After the podcast had finished, Giovanni and I had a discussion about what we talked about And we both think that there's actually a lot more material that we could go through and many more interesting nuclear engineering related topics that we could cover with a focus on fluid mechanics and CFD. As I imagine many of you would really be interested in learning some more interesting applications of CFD and what it can actually do in the modern world with new and advancing nuclear reactor designs. But at this point, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like some some input from the audience. How did you find the podcast? Were there any bits which you think we could expand on further? What aspects of nuclear reactor design, safety and analysis would you be interested in seeing a podcast from us on? We're really interested in hearing your thoughts. So if you just let us know in the comment section below, we do endeavor to read all the comments and if there's enough interest and we think there'd be another great podcast to come after this one, then Giovanni and I are considering filming a part two as a follow up to this podcast. So just to wrap everything up, thank you all very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Fluid Mechanics 101 podcast. And of course, thanks for enduring through our technical difficulties with the the drop in the visual uh, quality from my end of the recording. Uh, But until next time, thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.